Welcome to the sermon podcast from Compass Church. In this message from June 13th, 2021, Pastor Craig Kidder continues with the fifth installment of our What is the Bible series. Taking cues from ancient Near East culture and who the God of the Old Testament has already established himself to be, Pastor Craig unwraps the complexity of the Torah, or Old Testament law, showing how the law is a gift from a God who meets us where we are. For more information, check out compasscfc.com. Well, I'm Craig, and this morning, if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Deuteronomy 21. Deuteronomy 21. Not Deuteronomy 19, but Deuteronomy 21. Not Deuteronomy 20, but Deuteronomy 21. Deuteronomy 21, Benteuno. All right. I'm going to start in verse 10. Deuteronomy 21, verse 10. Here we go. When you go to war against your enemies and the Lord your God delivers them into your hands and you take captives, if you notice among the captives a beautiful woman and are attracted to her, you may take her as your wife. Bring her into your home and have her shave her head, trim her nails, and put aside the clothes she was wearing when captured. After she's lived in your house and mourned her father and mother for a full month, then you may go to her and be her husband and she shall be your wife. If you're not pleased with her, let her go wherever she wishes. You must not sell her or treat her as a slave since you have dishonored her. This is the word of the Lord. Did that did did that strike anyone else as odd? Okay, it's not just me. All right. Uh, we're in a section of scripture today called The Law. We're in our series where we're going through the Bible. And, and, and we, 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 what exactly is the law? Like, what in the world did we just read? Like, what's the law? It, do we have to keep the law? Is it like, like what, what does that look like for us in our lives today? Like, when we, when we pillage a village, we get to take a woman... And we got to cut her hair, trim her nails, and then if we don't like her, we can get rid of her. What in the world is the law? Sometimes when we read this huge section of scripture, it can be at best uh, odd, at, at middle embarrassing, and at worst, it can be kind of like we can be repulsed by it. Like, what? Whoa, whoa. What did we just read? And look, we're not the only people who struggle with the law. Uh, do you know when most people give up their Bible reading plans? Luke talked about Bible reading plans. Do you know when most people give up their Bible? It's mid-February. Because that's when you encounter Leviticus. All right? Like you're like, all right, I got through, you know, Abraham, oh, Jacob, all oh, those were great, the Exodus. And then, okay, we'll do the Ten Commandments. And Okay, I just, I tried. And we put our Bibles aside. You know, we, we sang about this morning how deep the Father's love for us, the mercy that's ours at the cross. Uh, can we just, like, kind of move past the law and get to that? Like, this is kind of odd. Can we just get to the good stuff? Right? Like, what do we do with this? Like, what in the world? This is so bizarre. My hope this morning, my hope this morning is that we can maybe move a little bit 
move the needle in how we think about the law. The law creates lots of questions, right? There's 613 of these rules, right? Do I have to keep them? Do I keep some of them, all of them? How do I know which ones to keep, which ones not to keep? Uh, what about the weird ones? What about the stuff in there that's like, let's not put this on like our PR poster, right? How in the world do we interact with and relate to law? The law also creates some weird questions about God. So in the Old Testament, it feels like the God of the Bible is like this kind of strict, rule-giving God. And how do you please him? You keep all these rules. Meanwhile, the God of the New Testament feels like it's like faith, right? Not justified by works, justified by faith. So is, is there, did God, how, what? Do, is, does he have like two plans? Like one, obey, work really hard, keep all these odd rules. And then two, faith? Plan A didn't work, so we go to plan B? What in the world's the law? And why does it matter? Does it matter? I don't know. It's weird. This morning, as we hope to move the needle a little bit, as we hope to, I hope to see, I hope to, that we all see together that the law, there's strange stuff about it. There's stuff that our culture is like, what? And, and that's fine. We should ask those questions. But, but here's, here's where we're going today. In, in the moment, in that moment of Israel's need, God met them where they were, provided what they needed in really tangible, specific ways. The law is a gift. I'm hoping that we can move from seeing the law as strange to the law as a gracious gift. And again, not that it's like, oh, great, it's a gift. We have to work to please God. No, 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 no. I, would, I dare anybody in here to try to find anywhere in the law that says you will be saved, you will be pleasing to God if you obey. It's not anywhere in the law. It's, it wasn't like God had plan A, plan B. Both are about, both the Old Testament and the New Testament are about living by faith. And when God met Israel, he met them where they were. See, we live in a culture that has been shaped by the law, by Judeo-Christian values. I mean, it's just, we take that for granted. It's the air we breathe. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created. Okay. We just take that for granted. Israel, they're out of Egypt. They're headed into a brave new world. And that brave new world did not hold those truths to be self-evident at all. The opening pages of Scripture tell us that God made man in his image. In Egypt, there was only one person who was the image of God, Pharaoh, the king. Being in the image of God is shorthand for being a king. And now... The God of Israel is saying, hey, everyone is elevated to equal worth and value. That was not self-evident in the ancient Near East, in the world that Israel was getting dropped off into. And so it's so easy for us to take these for granted. We live in a secular age that right now is trying to put a wall between the ethics of the law and the, the lawgiver. Can we get all the benefits of the Judeo-Christian worldview without God. And it's an experiment 
And, you know, the jury's still out, but I would be willing to bet money that when you separate law from lawgiver, you're really quickly going to lose the law. You're going to lose, oh yeah, we have human rights. Well, who gave them? I don't know, I did. Well, they don't believe that. Okay. You're going to revert back to what the world was like before Torah was given. We live in a world where we talk about, we talk about human rights. We talk about the rights of women. We talk about the rights of slaves. These things came out of Torah. And when we try to separate the God who gave those from those rules, what will happen is I think those rules will like be sand in our hands. We can hold on to it for a little bit. I mean, like, so someone like Sam Harris, right? He would reply by saying, well, look, you don't have, you don't have the corner on ethics, okay? So we can have social justice. We can have peace. We can have human rights without God. And I genuinely think the jury's still out on that one. What we see here is we take for granted how different our world is from their world. They were not moving into a world where everyone believed human rights were something to be celebrated. They're headed into a world where might makes right. I have, a, I have a vision for how the world should go. All right? And what makes that work? Well, I have a bigger army than you. Congratulations. And so God calls Israel into that world. And exactly what they needed. They had no idea what they're doing. Think about the Exodus story. We talked about it last week. When they get out of Israel, right? God meets them exactly where they are, right? How does God present himself as they're leaving Egypt? When they get out of Egypt, how does he present himself? Remember, he is a cloud of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night. Why? What's he doing? He's meeting Israel where she is. He's saying, hey, you're new to this whole life with me thing? Stay with me. There's life by me. Stay close to me. So we're headed into the desert. It's hot in the desert. I'll be shade during the day. Oh, it's cold at night. I'm a fire. I'll be warm at night. Stay by me, right? That's what Luke talked about earlier. If you abide with me, stay with me. It's just a, he's meeting them where they are in very tangible ways. For those of us who've had people in our lives who struggle with addiction, so, uh, you know, one of, my, one of my best friends, he has always, he just struggled with addiction. You, you would watch his ups and downs. People who struggle with addiction, if you know someone or love someone who has gone through, like, say, AA, what's the very first step? What's the very first step toward recovery? You do 90 meetings in 90 days. 90 meetings, 90 days. That's sort of how the law works. Immaturity needs specificity. Immaturity needs structure. All right, and Israel is in this state, different from being an addict, but they're, they're immature. They don't know what life with God looks like, and they're headed into a world that also has no idea what life with God looks like. This is a gift early in God's progressive revelation. As he's unfolding his plan, he's saying, you're headed into this chaotic world, and so I'm going to give you really specific ways that you can see what following me looks like. And the goal of that is that people would see you living these laws that are totally radical. It was a revolution. People will see you with this revolution, and their response will be, wow, 
These people are wise. Man, this, this God is near these people. Israel, God took Israel out of slavery and put them in the middle of the world. They've got Egypt to the south, they've got Mesopotamia all around them, and the trade route connecting them is Palestine. That's exactly where God drops them. And he says, I want the nations to see you being wise. The law is a missionary endeavor. We're going to reverse the curse. And it's tricky. Right? So like we just read in Deuteronomy 21 about like when you go to war and you pillage a village, how do you treat the people you pillaged? Right? So, so for us, how do we apply that? Like, let's go to war with our HOA and just be really gentle with the people we pillaged? Like, what, what in the world do we do? How do we apply the law? What we're going to see as we read Deuteronomy 4, that's where we're going to be today, Deuteronomy 4, as we read that, we're going to see that it's not about keeping the letter of the law. It's about keeping the spirit of the law. God's spirit is moving in wisdom to help these people live in new ways, live as a new humanity. There's a, the law is saying there's a new way to be human. We don't have to have might makes right. People have dignity and value and worth, and we can treat them differently. And the law is meant to point. That's what the word Torah means. It means to point or to show or to instruct. The law is supposed to point to who God is, that he is a near God, that he is a loving God, that he's a wise God. And he does that by meeting Israel where she is, not where we would like her to be, but where she is. Because who in the world are we to stare down our noses at them? There is coming a day when a future generation will look back on us and be like, can you believe the stuff they did back then? Abortion. High predatory lending. I mean, my goodness. America, what in the world? So it's, and if you haven't lived long enough for younger generations to do that to you, it's coming, all right? You listen to what? It, you know, small doses, all right? But it's coming. So we want to, there's a, there's a tremendous gift here that the law gives, that it's not saying, hey, here's a really hard rule that's totally foreign to you. It's meeting Israel where she is and walking them toward the ideal, redemption in that day and age saying hey we're done with slavery we're going to pull the rug out from underneath it that's how we would do it well yeah slavery's bad women need rights let's just go in there and say hey slavery's bad women need rights what's going to happen though is that's like coming to our our society today and saying hey electricity is bad fossil fuels awful coal boo all right electricity's bad so just stop it the revolution's not going to last long. But Yahweh meets Israel where she is and moves them into a way that takes the oxygen out of the room for people who are going to be oppressive. So Deuteronomy 4 is where we're going to read what God is trying to do through the law. And it's our practice around here. If you could stand with me while we read God's word, I'm going to read it. And then we'll say, when I'm done, we'll say, this is the word of the Lord. And you can reply, thanks be to God. This is this is Deuteronomy chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 to 8. Deuteronomy 4, 1 to 8. Now Israel, hear. It's a really important verb. We're going to talk about it later. Hear the decrees and laws that I'm about to teach you. Follow them. 
so that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that Yahweh, your, the God of your ancestors, is giving to you. Do not add to what I command you. Do not subtract from it. But keep the commands of Yah that Yahweh, your God, that I give to you. That verse right there, by the way, describes our relationship to God's word. We don't add to it. We don't take from it. We receive. We sit under it. You saw with your own eyes what Yahweh did at Baal Peor. The Lord your God destroyed from among you everyone who followed the Baal of Peor. But all of you who held fast to Yahweh your God are still alive today. Look, I've taught you decrees and laws as Yahweh my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully. Why? For this will show your wisdom and understanding to who the nations missionary endeavor who will hear about all these decrees and say surely this this great nation is a wise and understanding people what other nation is so great as to have their gods near to them the way yahweh our god is near to us whenever we pray to him and what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws i am setting before you today this is the word of the Lord. God. God, I pray as we look to your word that you would help us to see the gift that your law is and that we would move toward the wisdom and the spirit of the law that you've given. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. Part of the reason that we come to the law and we get confused about, by it is because the word law is not super helpful. When we hear the word law, we think of like, Traffic violations, you know, don't cross the street without a crosswalk. We think of just rules and regulations. That's not how the original audience heard the word Torah. It's, it, Jews today still call this section of scripture Torah, from Genesis to Deuteronomy. Torah, the word originally means instruction. It means instruction, and it was an instruction to make a relationship work. That relationship is called a covenant. So Yahweh makes a covenant with Israel, and already we're in countercultural, wild ways of seeing the world. In that day, only kings made covenants together. One king made a covenant with another king. Yahweh now is making a covenant with all of Israel. That's tremendous. He's saying, all you people have the dignity, value, and worth of royalty. It's raising the status of human beings. What does it mean to be a human being? Well, it means you are made to be a king or queen of creation. That's Genesis 1, right? Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, rule it, subdue it. That's what kings did. They ruled. God is elevating the status of humanity. He's saying, no, 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 there's not this like, you know, you're poor and so you don't matter, you don't have a voice. Most of the people hearing, hearing this instruction would have been poor. They just came out of slavery. They hadn't, they've been wandering around the wilderness. They haven't really had much time to build wealth. They've been just receiving manna every day from, from God. These aren't rich people, but he's elevating their status. Christians, Christians who talk about human rights, human rights is a fundamentally Christian idea. And what we're experiencing now in our secular age is that secular, secular thinkers have climbed the ladder of the Judeo-Christian worldview, and they got to like the fourth rung, and they're like, uh, those three rungs below us, we, they're, they're not there. We didn't climb those. They didn't give us this. This made, no one was talking like this in that cultural moment. No one was saying like, yeah, human rights, woo! 
They weren't. This was totally radical. This was totally radical, but it was also all about relationship. And here's how that relationship worked. Okay, so Israel gets rescued from, e from Egypt. Okay, and then we get some rules, the Ten Commandments. What happens right after the Ten Commandments? Rebellion. Israel worships a different God. They break the very first one. So Moses goes back, brings down more rules. Then what do we see? More rebellion. And so we, this pattern starts going throughout this story called Torah of rules, rebellion, rules, rebellion, rules, rebellion. So the really bad one is over here, and that was the idol worship. Then we get to this place called Baal Peor. Where, do you remember Balaam's ass, right? Balaam is like supposed to curse Israel, and he tries, and he keeps blessing them, and finally he's like, I don't know what to do. Just send in the girls. And they're like, oh, that's a good idea. So they send in all these Midianite women who seduce Israel into like sexual immorality and worshiping false deities. That's the other big rebellion. So we get rules, rebellion, rules, rebellion, and then we get here to Bob Peor, and it's really bad rebellion. And so that generation is not allowed to enter into the promised land. So the next generation, though, comes up. They're kids, and they're about to. They're on, they're on the plains of Midian. They're ready to go in, and Moses is like, hey, before we go, let's just review. All right? Let's review everything that's come before us. I want to give you the law again, which is literally what Deuteronomy means. It means second law. I'm going to give you the law again so you kind of understand what we're doing here. And what are we doing here? We're going into the land not to be like the land. We're going into the land to be, the, the land would be like us. We're going to be a blessing to the nations. We're headed into the wild, wild west, and we're headed in there as a different type of human. We're headed in there to be just and wise people. We're headed in there to be people who love righteousness. And by doing so, people are going to be like, whoa, their God is so very near. But there's a problem. Even as we get to the end of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 30 starts to describe they're about to head into the land, and he, listen to just how Moses is talking to them. Because it's, it's honest, but it's a little depressing. This is, I'm just going to jump around. Jump, this is verse 1. So he's talked about if you obey, you'll get blessing. If you disobey, you'll get curses, right? Blessings and curses. When all of these blessings and curses I have set before you come on you and you take them to heart, wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations. Okay, so being dispersed among the nations, that's getting kicked out of the land. That's exile. So what is he saying? You're not going to do it. When you have disobeyed and you get kicked out of the land, here's what's going to happen. Uh, verse 4. Even if you've been banished to the most distant land under heavens. So you've been really bad. From there, Yahweh your God will gather you back. Verse 6, Yahweh your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and live. The Lord your God will put all the curses on your enemies who hate you and persecute you. You will again, some translations say obey, but it's listen. Same word, listen and obey. You will again listen. You'll hear the Lord and follow all his commands that I and giving you today. What's being said there? The law is really good. It's meant not to be this thing that you do to earn, but it's to be a missionary endeavor. Hey, we're wise, we're different people, and, and, and in showing the nations to be attracted to Yahweh, but you're, this pattern we've been living in, you're gonna, you're gonna get stuck in it. And you're not gonna do it. You're going to fail. So this idea of the law pointing, it's pointing to two facts. One, that God is with you. He's near. He meets us where we are. 
And secondly, it's pointing to the idea that we need him, our need for him. The law is, meets Israel where they are, and even then we need something else. We need a new heart. We need a new heart. We can't keep these rules, and they're good rules. Like, this is how you, this is, there's a spirit of wisdom that's driving the law. Listen, let's think back again to Deuteronomy 21, okay? Deuteronomy 21. How does that law work? Okay? I want you to hear it again, but listen to it this time with some of the literary clues that the author drops in there. Okay? So Genesis 3. Remember back a couple weeks ago we did Genesis 3? Here's some of the words that are important in Genesis 3, the fall, right? There's a woman, and she sees fruit, and she says it's good. Beautiful and good are the same words. So she, a woman, she sees something beautiful and good. She sees that it's, des it's desirable to the eyes. Okay, so she reaches and takes it. So we've got a woman, she sees something is good, it's desirable to the eyes, she reaches and takes it. Listen to Deuteronomy 21, this is verse 11. So you, 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 won, you pillage the village. Now what? You notice among the captives a beautiful, or good, beautiful or good, woman, or you're attracted to her, literally says she's pleasing to your eyes, and so you reach out and take her as your wife. Do you hear all those literary clues? It's like the author's going like, <laughs> Genesis 3, Genesis 3, Genesis 3. It's a hyperlink. So the author is saying, just like the woman reached out and decided what was right in her own eyes, these stupid soldiers who go into battle are going to do what's right in their own eyes. We're disgusted by this, and the biblical authors are saying, so are we. This is not God's ideal. What is it? It's Yahweh meeting Israel where she is. They're giving clues. This isn't good. Why? Because this is just how people do war. Well, think about the Vikings. I mean, for many years after Torah was given, like, this is what cult, I mean, World War II, there's horror stories of both American, Axis, and Allied troops doing all kinds of terrible pillaging, right? This is just what people do in war, all right? We who live in the prosperity and safety of, uh, of America right now, we just forget. And so he's saying, hey, you got these boneheaded soldiers. They're going to do this anyway. Here's what we're going to do. Instead of saying, don't do it. And they do it, let's regulate it. Let's regulate it so that it becomes difficult. And so that after a couple times of doing this, people are like, you know what? We have, to, like, this woman isn't an object. Think about just how counterculture it was. No other culture is regulating this. Like, take this woman, do whatever you want with her, kill her, sell her as a slave. Great. It was saying, let her go wherever she wants. She has a choice, she has rights. And it's setting Israel off on a different trajectory than the rest of the nations. And is that how we would do it? No, we just come in there, let's outlaw it, let's shut it down. But there's wisdom here. Instead of just shutting it down and they don't do it, let's meet them where they are and walk with them toward the ideal. Jesus says this. I think it's the Sadducees come to him, and they're like, hey, they're asking questions about divorce, Right? And Jesus says this, God, Moses only allowed divorce because of the hardness of your hearts. It wasn't his ideal. But you were going to do it anyway, so he's trying to regulate it to make it just. And in doing so, he moves us toward his ideal. We call that redemption. Think about how, what good news that is for us. We all, all of us, have areas of immaturity. And we all leak. Like leak. So we have, we, we may mature, we may have like had an anger problem several years ago, 
and we've been growing. We've been practicing all these techniques. I'm like, hey, I'm not going to be angry. I'm not going to be angry anymore. And then something happens, and we just lose it. You know? Boom. Like a kid hits you in the face with a toy. Ah! That's leaking. We all leak. How do we, as people who have different areas of immaturity and who leak, how do we gain from the wisdom of the law, specifically a law like Deuteronomy 21? Well, we look for the spirit of wisdom who's driving the law. And what does that spirit of wisdom say? It says, hey, you live in a cultural context that's not regulating this. You live in a culture that's just do whatever you want. That's not how we're going to operate, especially with weak and vulnerable people. We live in a cultural context that has all kinds of no regulation on things. So, you know, there's all different ways you can apply this. We live in a culture that where people just either watch CNN or watch Fox News all day long, and then they start to look at people who watch the other news network as enemies in opposition. And I wish I could say that's just the culture, that's not the church, but that's everybody right now. So cultures heading this way and not being wise and not treating people in truly human ways, we're reducing them to sound bites. What if we were people who just like Israel said, hey, we're going to pe treat people where there's no benefit to us. It's actually great cost to us, right? You could have made money off that girl. But you're saying, no, this is a human being with dignity, value, and worth. I'm not giving her that. She has that. I'm simply recognizing that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to treat her as she is in reality, and she has a will. And so I'm going to say, hey, you're free to go. I'm, I'm going to honor your will. That's a revolution. That's so countercultural. What if we were countercultural in how we treated people today? What if we weren't behind the culture who just took the Judeo-Christian ethic and just applied it differently? What if we were ahead of the culture in how we walked toward justice? What if as a people, instead of arguing about the word justice, we just lived into the ethic of justice? Look, that's easier said than done. I, I've said this before, I'll say it again. Not, every, not all social justice is biblical. But all biblical justice is social. It's about how we treat each other. Are we treating each other in ways that this Torah dictates? Or are we doing what's right in our own eyes? And when we do this, we're following the spirit of the law. But there's a problem. We all leak. And we all have areas of immaturity. And I'm not immature, I'm super mature. Well, imagine this scenario with me. You come to church, you haven't been in church for a while, there's this like global pandemic. So you come back and you see people you haven't seen for a while. And you see Shirley. It's so good to see you, Shirley. And Shirley's got a huge Louis Vuitton purse around her shoulder. And you're, you're like, well, Shirley, with that Louis Vuitton purse, are you really giving to the poor? Do you really care about the poor? You know, that was probably made by a slave. What in the world, Shirley? Shirley is selfish. Shirley is not on mission. Shirley, do you know what Shirley does with her money? She buys big Louis Vuitton bags. That is immaturity. No way around it, all right? I love you, I love you, you love me, we can say things like that. That's immaturity. Why is that immaturity? We have seen a sliver of Shirley's life, and we've got it all figured out. I know exactly what she's doing with her checking account. I know exactly how she spends her money. I have judged Shirley, and my judgments are right forever and ever. Amen. Let's call it a day. What would maturity look like? I know, 
I noticed that. That's nice. How can I get curious about what's going on in my own heart? Am I jealous of Shirley? Do I wish I was in a position where I could buy luxury items? Maybe, maybe there's a good desire in there. Maybe we have this desire to care for the poor, but it's getting distorted. So we get curious and we invite other people into that. And, and what's the name for that? That's called listening. So instead of rushing to judgment, we can be people who listen. That's, the, that's like the key verb of the Torah. Deuteronomy 4, right? Listen, Israel. Deuteronomy 6, 5, 4. I don't know numbers super well, but it's in that range. Hear, O Israel. Listen. That's the same verb. Deuteronomy 30. When I give you a new heart, you'll listen. How do we listen to God? Like, seriously. And yes, we're going to say, and yes, yes, forever and amen. Please don't misunderstand me. Do we listen to God through the Bible? Yes. Okay? I'm really grateful. I work at a church where if I stop preaching from the Bible... I would get run out of town in a couple weeks, right? If I just, like, brought up great illustrated classics and I just started preaching through those, it would not take very long for you to be like, get out, all right? Just, I don't know what you're doing, get out. Do that somewhere else, all right? We love, love, love the Bible here. So we listen to God through the Bible, Deuteronomy 4, 2. We sit under his word. We don't add to it. We don't take from it. We receive it. That's how we hear from God, okay? How else do we hear from God? Thank you. Did everybody hear that? Can you say it louder? The Holy Spirit. Listen to this. This new heart, what does that look like? Jeremiah 31. This is so good. Jeremiah is talking about the old covenant that God made with Israel, and here's what he says in verse 33. It's a new covenant coming. This is the new covenant that I will make with the people of Israel. After the time of exile, declares the Lord, I will put my law on their minds, and I will write it on their hearts. A new heart. Isaiah goes on in chapter 59 to describe, like, you will have no need for someone to teach you Torah because you will have a new heart. You're like, what does that mean? This gets crazier, okay? Paul takes this idea really, really far, and it makes us uncomfortable. But listen to what Paul says in Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, uh, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. What is he saying? He's saying the law served a specific purpose. It was to meet Israel in her immaturity and to teach Israel what life with God looked like in very concrete, specific ways. So people who love God, uh, we build parapets around our house. Huh? What's that? Well, that's like a fence so that when you're hanging out on your roof and you really get your buddy laughing, they, they don't fall off. Well, how do I apply that today? Should I build like a fence on my triangular roof? No, the spirit of that is we're hospitable. When people come over, we take care of them. We're people who, who follow the spirit of the law. Now, though, that spirit, the same spirit of wisdom driving that law lives within you and me. That's nuts. The same spirit that gave the law, that gave the wisdom of the law, abides in us. And what Jeremiah said, he will write his law on our minds and our hearts. And what does Deuteronomy 30 again say? Look at it again so you know I'm not making it up. Look at Deuteronomy 30 again. When he gives us a new heart, what are we going to do? 
Verse 8. You will again hear Yahweh and follow all his commands I'm giving you. So my question for you this morning is how do you hear Yahweh? How do you hear God? Paul's saying this. If we have his spirit, if we have this new heart, we don't need the law. He's saying we just lean into love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. We don't need rules. We've got God's spirit living in us. This is my concern. As a church, we deeply love the Bible. And well, that's not a concern. That's wonderful. We're, we need to crank that value up. If life was an amplifier, let's crank the Bible-loving part of it up to 11. That's what this whole series is about. We don't love the Bible enough. We need to love it more. Also, though, we're not making much of the Spirit. God's Spirit lives in us. And we need to listen. We must listen. That's a sign that we have the Spirit, that we can hear from God. That we can, what, what does that look like? How do you do that? How do you hear from God? This is starting to make me uncomfortable, right? Because we've seen abuses. We've seen people be like, well, hey, God told me. You know, I wasn't happy in my marriage. God told me I could leave, so I got a divorce. Everything's good to go. God told me you can't argue with that. God told me, who are you to doubt the word of the Lord? All right? That's dumb. All right? You just knock it off. All right? We've also seen people, like, go nuts in, like, certain movements that are very obsessed with the Spirit, and we've seen things where, like, whoa, we have questions about that. And that may make some of us cautious, like, whoa. What does a spirit-filled life really look like? All right? Here's what a spirit-filled life looks like. People who love Scripture, people who love Torah, who don't add to it, who don't subtract from it, but live under it, also listen to the word of the Lord. What would that look like in Deuteronomy 21? Hey, God, the principle here is that I need to treat people in truly human ways. God, where... Help me see. Help use my imagination. Put people on my heart. Who at my office isn't being treated in a truly human way? Am I seeing abuse that I'm just looking the other way? God, God, what, what are the ways that I can really hear you speak to me? And, and when we, just like Samuel, just like Moses, when God shows up and we say, here I am, speak, he speaks. We just are really bad at listening. Like Richard Foster, the great, the great uh, spiritual guru who loves his spiritual disciplines, talks about, like, what is it like to listen to God? It's just listening. It's just listening. And his spirit dwells within us, and he might put people in our hearts and minds. And yes, it takes discernment. Paul says, test the spirits. So, you know, we don't just believe every idea that pops into our head. Like, I got the spirit. So yeah, I ate Shakespeare's last night, put a ton of sriracha on it, and I just have all these weird thoughts. But yeah, I'd listen to that. No, we test the spirits with Scripture, but God's Spirit really does listen to us. And the law, the word again and again in the law is listen. Do we listen? What in the world does it look like to listen? What does it look like for a single parent who has so many responsibilities, bills are piling up, 
There's, you know, a couple weeks away from collections. What does it look like for that single parent to listen to the voice of the Lord? What does it look like for a busy doctor who's running around seeing patient to patient to patient because insurance is like, you got to see as many patients as possible so we can just crank as much money out of these people as we can. What does it look like to listen? Well, I'm glad you asked. Part of what it looks like to listen is the law. Now, we are not under the law, but we can be as people who, hey, the law here is served a specific purpose, but we can come back to the law and still learn from it to then apply its wisdom to the difficult situations we find ourselves in. So Paul says the law was a school teacher to lead us to Christ. Now that we've met Jesus, we're like, got it. Now, it's kind of like, it's kind of like bedtimes. What were your bedtimes growing up? I just want to know to see if I got, like, gypped by my parents. What were your bedtimes growing up? Did someone say 10 o'clock? Oh, 8 o'clock, okay. What else we got? Nine, man. Got some cool parents. Okay, bedtimes. For those of us in here who are adults, we no longer have bedtimes. Our bedtimes are the times we want to go to bed, all right? Is there wisdom, though, in thinking about bedtimes? Yes, especially once you hit, like, 25. Once you get past 25, like, staying up till 2 and then, like, just, you know, going throughout your day is not as easy as it was, all right? So there's, we don't need a bedtime, but we learn from the wisdom of bedtimes. That's exactly how we can approach the law. We're not going to pillage a village. We're not going to apply that to our HOA. And when we go to war with our HOA, like, we'll be careful with the victims we take. No, 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 no. That's not applying the wisdom of it. We look at this law that was serving a specific portion. Remember, the Bible is not written to us, but it's written for us. So we look at it, and we say, okay, what's the wisdom here? How do I apply that? And how do I hear from God to be able to do that? Because remember, what does Paul say about the law? If righteousness came through the law, Christ died for nothing. We could be wise people and do this on our own, and we didn't need a new heart. Jesus died for nothing. But the Christian life we've been talking about again and again through the sermon is Emmanuel, God with us. What does he say in Deuteronomy 4? When you keep these laws, you'll see I'm near you. The nations will be like, what kind of people have a God so near? And by the end, when we get to chapter 30, the near, it's not just near, he's, he's dwelling in us. And he writes the law on our heart. We make way too little out of that. And, and it, it's from a good place, right? Like, hey, I, I'm not an authority. Like, I want to be under God's word. Absolutely. God's word says God's spirit dwells in you. How do you listen to the spirit? How do you hear what he says? John Salehammer, he's like an amazing Old Testament scholar. He makes this point. Moses had the law, right? We all agree with that. He had the law. Law comes, Moses gets it. When Moses dies, where does he die? Does he die inside the land or outside the land? Outside, okay. Abraham does not have the law. When he dies, where does he die? Does he die inside the land or outside the land? The whispers say inside, the whispers have it. I have the law, 
but I can't get home. I don't have the law, but I can get home. Don't twist the law into, here's something I must do to get home. That's not what it is. And when we do that, we miss the beauty of it. And really quickly, it becomes this tangled web that it's hard to navigate. Through the law, we experience the gift of a God who meets us in our immaturity and says, hey, here's my ideal. My ideal is over here. I'm going I'm to walk with you toward my ideal. I'm going to do that. We're going to head toward the ideal. I mentioned earlier, um, I, have, I, have a good, I have a friend who is an addict. And I say is an addict uh, because he never was fully able to just break free. It's a friend I love, like deeply. It hurts. And like we, you know, he lived with me for a while, and uh, I remember watching him. And I have a lot of, I have younger siblings. I remember he would like watch PBS Kids with my younger siblings, and he would like get in fights with my younger siblings about like Arthur, right? Like, and it was just bizarre, right? I'm like, dude, you're like 25 years old. What are you doing, right? Just odd behavior like that. Like he, would, he loved, like, candy, too. He would just eat, like, he ate like he was 15. He argued with 15-year-olds. And I was always like, what in the world is going on here? And I'm no expert on, addi- on addiction, but I'm, I'm on a flight from L.A. to Boston, from Boston to L.A. I'm headed back, and I'm flying beside this woman, and she has this red book. Okay? And so just my personality, when I'm sitting beside people and they have books, like, please don't talk to me, please don't talk to me, please don't. They're going to be some religious weirdo. Please don't talk to me. And so she turns to me and is like, hey, what you're reading? I wasn't reading anything. I'm like, oh, no, what's happening? And she goes, I'm like, well, what are you reading? And she goes, oh, this is a, this is a book that AA gives you. I'm like, why, why are you reading that? She's like, well, my son's an addict. I'm like, oh, and I just left thinking about my best friend. We had kind of this, like, head-to-head. And I'm, I'm just thinking, I'm like, man, like, tell me about that. Like, what's it like living with an addict? And she was like, well, you know, what, one of the things that AA says and how I see it is, and I don't know, I've not done any research on this. She's like, when addicts, um, the age they are when they become addicts, oftentimes they don't mature past that age. Like a light went on. It's like my best friend became an addict at 15. That's why he eats candy and argues about PBS kids. He never was able to mature past that ceiling. And so for the rest of his life, he's just been on this kind of merry-go-round. He'll do really well, and you can, like, contact him, then he'll fall off the radar, and you don't know. It's really painful. God loves Israel so much, he is not willing to let them stay there. He says, I will enter your world. I will give you a law that is not everything I want for the world. This is not how we treat women. But I'm, I'm, I'm coming to you to say, let's move toward the ideal. And even then, Israel, what, is, what does Israel say at the end, ultimately? No, thank you. They become like the nations. Does God give up? No. He sends his son. What's amazing about Deuteronomy... This is not in my notes. Let's see if I can find it. What's amazing about Deuteronomy? In Deuteronomy, there's, this, there's these wild rules about a rebellious son. Listen to this. This is 21, 18. 
If someone has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not listen to his father and mother, who will not listen to them when they discipline him, his father and mother shall take hold of him, bring him to the elders at the gate of the town. They shall say to the elders, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He does not listen to us. He's a glutton and a drunkard. Who did they say that about? That's what the Pharisees did. They brought Jesus to the edge of the town and they said he is a drunkard and a glutton. And what did he do? He took it. Do you know what they're saying about him? They're saying he's a disobedient son. He wasn't. He was a good son. He came for us. And we despised him. We sang this earlier. It was my sin that held him there. And it was. It was. If righteousness came through the law, Christ died for nothing. But it doesn't. It's a gift of grace. He meets us where we are and we can't meet him. And he says, I'll meet you. I'll carry you to the end. And even at the end, I'll carry you. That's Augustine. Augustine got it. He got it. It's all of grace. There's not two ways to please God. It's not obey and faith. It's all faith. When... The biblical writers, they would always try to summarize the law. They're always trying to take the wisdom of the law and boil it down to as short of statements as they could. So Micah does this, right? You know it. What does God require of you, O oh man? Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. He's trying to summarize the wisdom of the law. People get shorter. Amos. Amos goes nuts. Amos tries to get down to one thing. What's the one summary of the law that Amos gives us in Amos 5? What does God require? Seek me. Seek me. But Habakkuk, though, he goes nuts, all right? Habakkuk gets it down to like a mantra. What's the mantra? The just shall live by faith. What is the law all about? The just shall live by faith. We're in a world, the secular post-Christian age, no one knows what's going on. Some people may claim to know what's going on. No one knows what's going on. How do we navigate? How do we survive? Faith. The just shall live by faith. And that's the law. Father. Father, thank you. Thank you for the gift of grace to meet us where we are. Thank you for your son with his deep, deep love who loved us who, despising the shame, pressed on for the joy that was set before him. Father, I pray that we would experience that joy, the joy that came to us as a gift. The gift is your son's own life, which gives us a new heart. God, I pray that we as people would live into the spirit, the one who gave us the law and the one who guides us today. It's in his name we ask. Amen. This sermon is part of the ministry of Compass Evangelical Free Church in Columbia, Missouri. We seek to be a church where Christ's love is at work transforming lives through the power of the Spirit to the glory of God. For more information, check out compassefc.com 